Welcome you all here. I want to welcome everybody watching us by live stream and uh, want to encourage you. It's my honor to teach on Christmas morning. If you're in your Snuggie and you've got your coffee and you're around the tree and you got your foot warmers on, we're what we are grateful that you are here. We are live in the 305. It's a brisky 50 degree morning down here. I was reading in Montana, it's negative 20. So be grateful. Be grateful, Miami. Be grateful. Negative 20 in Miami. I don't even know how to make, how do you make that work, right? Negative 20. It's like your fingers start crumbling. You, how cold out is it? Well, I had a hand, but my hand is gone now. It just broke off in the cold. So we get a lot of gifts this morning. Going to give a lot of gifts this afternoon. Some of you got gifts last night. But it's important to remember what the greatest gift and what Christmas is actually all about. And this is the epicenter of Christianity is the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is really what it's all about. So there's no place I would rather be, and there's nothing I would rather be doing than standing in his presence and talking about the one who came for us. And so I'm going to give you two passages of scripture, and then I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why the son was given. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is written over 300 years before Jesus was born. The prophet saw what was coming, they foretold the Messiah. And it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Say it with me. His name is Wonderful. wonderful. Counselor. Counselor. Mighty, God, Mighty God. Everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government there will be no end. And upon the throne of David... And over that kingdom, he will order it and he will establish it with judgment and with justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal or the passion of the Lord of hosts or the God of the angel armies will accomplish this. And in John three sixteen, for God so loved that he gave unto us a child is born and a son is given and God so loved that he gave. This is why we give gifts. It's because our Father gave gifts. Man in and of his nature is very self-centered. But God is a generous God. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For the Son did not come at this time to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. The Bible says this. It says a child is born. Jesus was born in a natural way. He was conceived within a woman supernaturally. And what's crazy is that people don't understand. They're like, how is that possible? Well, first of all, it's a divine act. And how could Jesus be born sinless? What's interesting is, is when a baby is, is in the mother's womb, it's inside of the placenta. And the placenta is actually what separates the child's blood from the mother's blood. So Jesus' blood never mingled with Mary's blood. Isn't that crazy? So to the child, to us, the child was born. But, to, but from heaven's eyes, a son was given. He was carried in the womb. He was separated. He is the son that was given. He was conceived by a divine act. By a divine act. You say, how is that possible? How is the eyeball possible? How, you, know, you know what? It, science can't understand the thumb. We're so intellectual, we don't understand the thumb. We're the only species that actually has a thumb. We don't understand it. We understand how the human eye works, but we're geniuses. 
We don't understand how hearing works. We don't understand sound waves or where they come from. We don't understand light. I'll give you an even bigger one, right, that we're completely clueless on. We don't understand gravity. We understand the effects of gravity, but we don't understand where gravity comes from. We have no understanding of this. So here we are, a clueless species, and we question whether the God who created all can conceive himself within the womb of the mother. I mean, we know nothing. Right? It's completely possible. All of the things that we don't understand were created by divine acts. Light, sound, time, space, dimension, depth, width. All of these things were created by God, and yet none of them we understand. This is true. But man still proclaims himself to be a genius. Go figure. Go figure. (laughs) He is the son that was given, conceived by a divine act. Luke chapter 1. The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Just like the book of Genesis, thrusting upon the water. The Holy Spirit and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And into you will, become, will come the Holy One. And He will be born and be called the Son of God, the monogonosh, the one of a kind, the unique and one and only. Jesus came as us to pay the price for us that we might be able to come back to Him. Galatians chapter 4 verse 3 says, even so, when we were children, we were in bondage and under the elements of a world system. This is right here, a clue phone, Christian. You're born again. You're not under a world system. You can choose to be under a world system, but the divine act of God enables you to live outside of a world system. The divine act of God enables you to draw power from a system that is not of this world. You can choose that if you want to. It doesn't happen by default. Christians just think that everything just happens. It just just happens. It doesn't just happen. Nothing just happens. You have to participate and grow. You have to be a part of this process. But when the fullness of time had come, we were children under bondage, under the elements of the world. God sent Jesus. Jesus came in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under law, born under the limitations and the bondages of the law of sin and death. He constrained himself to be born into a system that was bound by the law of sin and death. And he fulfilled that law and thereby broke it so that we might be, receive adoption as sons and daughters. You're no longer under the law of sin and death. You're under the law of the Spirit. And until you learn to appropriate the law of the Spirit, the law of sin and death still holds effect over your life. That's another, that's another story for another day. You can be born again and still under oppression. You can be born again and be still under poverty. None of that's God's will. None of it. None of it. You're born again, but you choose because you're ignorant, don't understand how to behave. So long, the heir, so long as they're a child, are no different than slaves, but are under stewards and guardians until the time appointed by the Father. The heir, so long as they are immature and undeveloped, children, God's sons and daughters, heirs of his kingdom, heirs of this world and the one to come, so long as they are children, undeveloped, immature in their faith, immature in their understanding of who he is, and immature of who they, who he, who they are, and, under, and immature as, as to what the promises actually are and how this kingdom works, you will remain under bondage, though you're an heir. The Bible says it very, very plainly and very, very clearly. This is why. There is a kingdom. This kingdom operates, but we have to participate with this kingdom. We reap what we sow, and we, we, we participate with a system, or we participate with God's system. It's our choice. 
Jesus was born in the fullness of the dispensation of the time, at the time when God was going to shift the way that things were done upon the earth. This is the word dispensation. It's a governmental way that God ruled within the earth, and he shifts the dispensation. And at the time when God was going to shift the dispensation is when Jesus came. He came into dark times. The world was under oppression. The world was under the boot of Rome, particularly the region, the known world as God sees it. Another story. It was oppressive. It was dark. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Galilee, which is probably one of the most oppressive regions under the Roman rule. Naphtali had seen a great light, land that lives in the shadow of death. Jesus came into that oppression. He knows your oppression. He wants to be a part of the darkness and the brokenness and all of the pain that exists in your life. This is why, one of the reasons why he came. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, You, Bethlehem, though you are least among the tribes of Judah, least among the cities of Judah, out of you will come for me, the Lord says, a ruler who will rule my people, whose origins are from old and whose times are of everlasting. Here the prophet Micah is prophesying that Jesus, the Son of God, the Ancient One, God Himself, will be born in the town of Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? It means house of bread. A lot of reasons. Just a simple one. It means house of bread. Right? That's right. But what's that? Bread of life. Beth, house, lehem, bread. House of bread. Because Jesus is the bread of life. Did you know that? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds. Jesus is the bread that supersedes natural bread. He's everything. He's the source of all life for mankind. There is no life without Jesus. There is no life without Jesus. No life. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why the Son was given. He was given to offer peace and restoration into a broken relationship. This is the epicenter of all things. God created man for a meaningful relationship. When God created man, he created man to relate to him, to be in communion with him. Christmas is all about family, right? And Christmas, when family gets together, you know what happens? The good and the bad and the ugly is all there, isn't it? Right? No? No, no. Yeah? No? <laughs> you got it all. All the complexities, but it's still family, isn't it? It's still family. Even though the good there, the bad's there, the ugly's there, there's a lot of nonsense that's there. God desired family. He created man and woman to be a part of his family. That he would be a father, then that man and woman would be, there, would be his son and daughter, and that through them he would populate the earth and have an even bigger family. The church is his family now. This is what he's doing until he comes, and he's going to change everything again. But the son was given to give, bring peace to a broken relationship. We were created for a meaningful relationship. Any meaningful relationship requires a choice, does it not? You must choose. In order for there to be a meaning within the relationship, you have to choose. Man was given an opportunity to choose. And Adam chose that he didn't want to be under the Lord. And as Adam chose his own way, he actually separated us all. Now, I don't know what's going to happen when we get to heaven. We're all going to see Adam, and we're all going to just gang tackle him or something. I'm not quite sure how that's all going to work. But, you know, thanks, man. Thanks a lot, you know. <laughs> Where's Adam? I don't know, man. People are picking on him again. But, you know, we all, we all have fallen. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man broke the relationship, but God still wanted it. It's amazing. We give up on the Lord, but the Lord never gives up on us. 
We separate ourselves from God, but the Lord pursues us. He looks for us. He looks for us. That's why some of you have become Christians, because the Lord found you. He found you, right? He was that voice in your conscience when everything was broken and alone, and you felt hopeless. He was that guiding light. He, was that, he, he brought that person to you to give you hope, to give you light. We break the relationship, but the Lord still want it, wants it. And the Lord was willing to give anything to have it. He gave his whole kingdom to have, your, have a relationship. Jesus is, Jesus is the heir. Jesus is, he is God himself. He represented all of the divine glory, and he came. And he gave everything. He left everything behind, and because there could be no higher price to give, he gave himself. There was no higher price that Jesus could pay for you than yourself. You know how much you worked to the devil? Not two cents. You're not even worth a penny. You're worth nothing to the devil. You're a deficit to him. The fallen angel treats you as nothing. You know how much most people treat you as? You're worthless. You're common. You're no good. Even the value that you have for yourself oftentimes is so low. But Jesus said, you're worth so much to me. You're worth so much to me. I'll pay anything for you. And he gave us the highest price he could give. He could give nothing more. What was required? Jesus said, I'm going to give myself. He gave it all for you because he desired the relationship. He was willing to do anything to restore that relationship. And that's really what the gospel is all about, is the one who was born to, to give himself to restore a relationship, not a religion. Jesus, good God, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He did not come to start a religion. Can we get past that? Can we, get, can we please get past that? Can the 21st century church get past the idea that Jesus came to start a religion? He came to bring a re restored relationship that is a revolution of love. That's really what it's all about. And that's, another, that, that's a whole other topic. There's so much depth to that statement alone. All of us now are given a choice. The reason man will be condemned and man without Christ will be condemned. You're like, oh. This isn't Christmassy, Kevin. This isn't Christmassy. This is as Christmassy as it's ever going to get. This is the essence of Christmas. Light has come into the world, and man is given an opportunity to receive light, but we choose darkness. Man, there's a lot of reasons. Man will be condemned, and we will be condemned to darkness if we do not receive the one and only offer that is, that is made to us, and that is the gift, the greatest gift of all. Man does not need God to be condemned. God is not condemning anyone. Man is already condemned. You are born condemned. You are born in darkness. You must be born again. This is the, this is the truth. Growing up in a Christian home doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because grandma prayed for you doesn't mean you're saved. You must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and give your life personally to the one who personally gave his life for you. Jesus personally gave it for you, and you must personally give your life back to him. It's the great exchange. Conscious choice. It says those that believe. Belief is not intellectual. The word pistas is the Greek word, and it means a conscious choice. To whosoever would believe in him. To whosoever would make a conscious, willful choice to entrust their life to him. That's saving faith. Saving faith isn't agreeing with your mind and thinking you, got, you understand it. Saving faith is a willful, conscious, say with me, willful, conscious choice. You're willingly doing it. You're consciously aware of the decision that you're making. That's saving faith. My life for yours, your life for mine. 
all in, Jesus. That's saving faith. Condemnation. What does the word condemnation mean? Man's under condemnation. You know what condemnation is? It's the Greek word krisis. It's where we get the word crisis from. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Man separated himself from God, and all of the crisis within the world is directly related to man's willful separation from the one and only. That's where all crisis comes from. Crisis comes from the separation. Crisis comes from the sin. Every crisis in your life, and most of our crises are self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. We create our own crisis. Life could be so much better. I've looked at the world so many times, and I'm like, this could be so much better. Mankind creates their own crisis. And because we create our crisis, it's because we live a godless existence. We live a life not just in, and Christians live godlessly. You can be born again and not live this faith. And there's crisis in your life because there's probably some arena in your life where you won't submit it. You choose your way and you create your own crisis. But Jesus is the answer. Even when crisis happens, Jesus is the answer. If the condemnation creates the separation, and if the condemnation creates the crisis, and Jesus is the answer for the condemnation, then Jesus is the answer for the crisis. Can I get a witness? Eh? Dr. Phil and Oprah Winfrey, God bless them. But they're not the answer to the crisis. Government is not the answer to the crisis. Government creates crisis. I don't know if you're aware of that. Jesus is the answer to the crisis. The one and only. It says, whosoever would believe in it would be saved. It's the Greek word sotorion, right? And it means an applied act. And there's two layers to salvation. There's the one you give your life to Christ. Sotorion is declared upon you. An applied act is put upon your life. A seal, Ephesians says. Sotorion, you are sealed by the Most High. And that relates to a second word called sozo. Sozo is the benefits of Satorion, that you are saved from the condemnation, that you are offered an opportunity, an access and benefit plan of healing, and you are offered a benefit plan of deliverance. Deliverance from what? The lingering after effects of a life you no longer own. That's deliverance. Many Christians come to Christ and are still coming with all their bags, and those bags just don't go away. You can't pray them away. You can't read them away. You can't wish them away. You can't. And if you live this life and you apply yourselves to the disciplines, you'll soon quickly understand that those bags are still there. You must be delivered. And, it's a deli and deliverance is a process. It is a completely separate thing beyond reading your Bible. You must be delivered. You can get quiet in here, right? Church is woefully weak on deliverance. We're either crazy bunch of maniacs over here doing psycho stuff with deliverance, or we're completely in the dark as it relates to what deliverance truly is. You must be delivered from the lingering after effects of a life that you no longer own. That's one of the benefits of salvation. Healing. Healing what? Healing of the soul, healing of the mind, healing of the body, healing of the family, healing of the finances. Healing in every way is yours. Satorion is the applied act. Sozo is the benefit. Just a thought. The son was given to solve the crisis of life. That's the second thing. He was given to restore the relationship, and he was given as the solution to man's crisis. Can I get a witness? <laughs> if the world would just look to Jesus, not religiously, 
But if the world would just call upon the Lord, if we would just ask him for wisdom, God will give you the solution to your crisis. Anybody been in a crisis and Jesus has helped you? Huh? Anybody didn't know what to do and the Lord has told you what to do and it solved your flipping problem? Right? You're not smart enough. You're not good looking enough and you don't have a big enough Instagram account to solve your problems. Jesus is the only solution to man's crisis. The only one. He comes to offer a better way. He comes to solve the crisis of separation, heal the relationship, to offer a way out, right? A way through and a way into. How beautiful is that? Say, I got no way out. Who told you that? Jesus is the way maker. He, he, there's, nothing, there's nothing that Jesus can't do. There's no nation he cannot enter. There's no realm he does not possess. And he doesn't stand in line. He tells the believers all the time, Oh, I don't want to hear the Lord. How do I know it's the Lord talking to me? I don't want to hear any devils. I'm like, if he has the Holy Spirit to talk to you, you think he's standing in line? Do you honestly believe that the Holy Spirit gets behind Lucifer when you ask him to talk to you? Are you serious? This is how stupid we are. Well, I don't want to hear God's voice because, you know, we might hear voices. Everything that God has said has been written down in the Word of God. <laughs> what is your life produced that produces nothing or that produces measure? I'm not going to say it doesn't produce anything because it does, but it produces measure, and that will never produce fullness. How do you know? Because I've tried. I've tried. You understand that? I haven't, I haven't looked at this. I haven't observed this. I have tried, and it doesn't work. And I have given decades of my life to trying to produce through a method that is outside of revelation, and it produces measure, never fullness. Never fullness. And I don't want measure. Christ did not die for me to or give me an inheritance for me to live in measure. He gave me access to fullness, and that is my pursuit, and it should be yours. We have to grow up. Gifts wear off, don't they? Come on. That thing you couldn't live without in two years, you're going to be like tossing it, right? Mount Trashmore. So that, yeah, we used to roll the windows down when we'd go up to Orlando. We'd roll the windows down. Take a deep breath, kids. This is everything you couldn't live without. Just breathe it in. That smell there, that is the aroma of everything you couldn't live without. It's going to go in that massive trash pile. <laughs> Moved into this house like a year ago. We're still cleaning out boxes. And man, I'm finding stuff. I'm like, why do I have this? Why do I keep this? <laughs> Some of you today, you're going to give gifts that you're going to be awesome. And then they're going to be kind of gifts. You're going to be like, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And then you're going to remember, we're going to write on the box who gave it to you because you're going to re-gift that. And you want to make sure that when you re-gift that, you don't give it back to the person that gave it to you. <laughs> Why is my name on this, Carmen? Why did you put my name? I gave this to you last year. You did? Oh, that wasn't for you. I'm sorry. I was writing on it on who gave it to me. Then why are you giving it to me? I don't know. <laughs> I love it, though. Yeah, right? Okay. The son was given to restore right rulership over our lives, and the government should be upon his shoulders. The government should be upon... What government is on Jesus' shoulders? Human government? No. No. Human government is not on his shoulders. Human government will be on his shoulders. Jesus didn't come to bring human government. He came to bring kingdom government. Jesus brought with him the government of heaven. You understand that? He brings with him a dominion and a rulership that this world has not known. And the government, he bears the weight. The government of heaven flows through him and with him. And he brings it with him. 
And it is a government of peace, which is shalom, that is overflowing. So you can live under human government. You can love under self-government. You can live under cultural government. Or you can live under heaven's government. But there's only one that's going to flow with abundance, and it's heaven's government. Write that down. Write that. How do you know? Because I've tried. I have tried. <laughs> peace is the overflowing abundance of God. It is a, it is the, the, when peace is not a Zen state or a lotus position or a Gregorian chants or just complete serenity, what peace is is a river that overflows the banks and adds life to everything around it. That's what peace is. Peace is that. And so Jesus' government brings the overflowing well-being into every area when you walk under heaven's government. And of this government, there will be no end. And the Lord will order it, and he will establish it. The Bible uses this word judgment. It means with litigation. Jesus will bring about this government and the rule over your life through litigation. That's a whole other story. You are no longer under the law of sin. Your life has been litigated. You are freed from the law of sin. And you are brought into the law of the kingdom through litigation. This whole government is, a plot, is given to you. And there's, some, and there's so many points of access of this government into your life that require you to apply litigation. And that's another story for another day. But God will establish this government. This government over your life was done through a legal transaction. Jesus paid a price for you. Right? That's a legal price. It was a legal payment. The devil had legal ownership. And it was only one way. The devil could get rid of the legal ownership that he has over you. Christ pays for it. And the second thing is you have to agree with it. You agreed to be under the devil. I did not. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You agreed. You agreed. You've done it my way. You've said you're, you're, that's what salvation is. I'm not God. Jesus is. That's what it means to be born again. You have to confess Christ as Lord. You're not Lord. He is. And that legal transaction establishes these things over your life. From this time forward and forevermore, the government of heaven is not ending. It is increasing. And the government of heaven's desire is to infiltrate every part of your life to flow in the church, through the church, and unto the world. And that's how it works. Through the church, in the church, and out unto the world. Individually and corporately. And God's design and desire and the passion of God in the earth is the increase of his government within the earth, on earth as it is. Jesus isn't sitting up in heaven twiddling his thumbs waiting for the call to return. He's looking to partner with people in the earth, partner with churches in the earth to manifest and bring forth his government. And the passion of the Lord of hosts. He has a passion for it. He will perform this. You're not under earthly rulerships. The elements of this world may influence you, but they don't have the final authority over you, Christian. If you're not a believer, the elements of this world have final authority over you. And any way you get out of the circumstances you're in is merely an act of grace. But to the believer, it's your inheritance. No matter what your circumstances are, your inheritance is that that thing will not consume you. doesn't matter. doesn't matter how justified the condemnation is over you. God will deliver you. You know how many people I've seen, Christians, who've done stupid things and put themselves in really stupid positions, some even willfully, and they call on the Lord and he delivers them? Do you know that? This is what I do. I see this all the time. And their companions didn't get the same grace that they got. Come on. They got released. Their companions didn't. Why? Because they're not under heaven's government. That's not their inheritance. 
The world doesn't judge you. The only one who has the right to judge the believer is your father. The only one. To our own master we rise and to our own master we fall. Yea, we will stand for he is able to make us stand. We're not judged of men. We're judged of our father. Another story, another day. You guys are looking at me like I'm from Mars. This is kingdom gospel I'm talking to you about. It's a totally different way. This is power. This is stuff I see in the everyday. This is stuff I see in the now. This is stuff I see active in so many different arenas. I tell people all the time, you're not a victim, you're a victor. Believe God. Don't accept what's been brought against you. Don't accept it. God is their deliverer. You have an inheritance. Close that door. We believe in opening doors. That is the closing of the door of worldly consciousness. That's what that is. <laughs> the elements of this life may influence you, but they don't have final say. Happy day, Merry Christmas. Thank you, Jesus. The gift that keeps on giving. The gift that keeps on giving. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and are worn out. Worn out by empty pursuits is what that translates. If you're, if you're not a believer, I can rest assured you're worn out by empty pursuits because you're living for no one beyond yourself, and that is an empty game for sure. But Christians oftentimes pursue the wrong thing. We chase the wrong thing, and we find ourselves empty, and yet in our hearts we know we're not supposed to be. Jesus says, come unto me if you're worn out through empty pursuits, and I will give you rest restoration, reclamation, I will fulfill you, I will strengthen you, I will encourage you, I will redirect you, I will reorganize you, and I will send you out again. <laughs> you don't even go in the penalty box, man. Jesus just gets you warmed up. Okay, we good? We good? Tell me when we're good. We're good. Going to get you back in the game. He puts you right back in the game. <laughs> he puts you, say, it's not fair, nothing fair about favor. God puts you right back in the game, right back in the game of life. He will restore everything in your life if you'll let him. How many times? How many times do you need it? Seventy times seven. The church disqualifies you. Well, we gave you three chances. Can't keep it together after three chances. You don't deserve another one, son. That's how we treat each other. Jesus said 70 times seven in a day. That's a lot of screwing up. I mean, I've screwed up a lot in a day, but I don't think I've hit 490 times in one day. And then what happens the next day? His mercy's new every morning, and I got 490 times more. The idea is infinity. Seven, seven, seven is completion. Seven times ten, complete infinity. Completion multiplied by complete infinity is how many opportunities I'll give my people. <laughs> wow. Thank you. I got one Wow. <laughs> Wow, exactly. Come on down. He was given to you for this reason. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is our whole idea, Christian, is we don't just come to Christ. We take the yoke, the guidance, the governing power of heaven, and we allow him to guide us. Learn from me. Learn from me. It's not even learn of me, which is really fascinating. It's learn from me. Isn't that crazy? We want to learn of him. When Jesus says, like, learn from me, I'll teach you. I'm your rabbi, right? This is what I do. Number one of the number one titles Jesus had was teacher. Teacher, yeah? He didn't even, he barely, I don't even think miracle worker was even there. 
He barely even did, you know, miracles are important, but his first and foremost ministry was teaching, instruction. Why? Because we don't know what we're doing. That's why. We need all the help we can. I, I need all the help I can get, frankly. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. I will not harm you. I don't want anything from you. I only want for you. I am not against you. Learn from me. I am gentle. I will not be harsh with you. He's not harsh with you. He's not correct. He's correcting, but not in condemning. He'll correct you, but he doesn't condemn you. We condemn each other. You're worthless. You piece of junk. You this, you that. This is how we are. Look, I'm a human being. Come on, don't be acting all pious. You do it too. Because we're broken. He's not like that. He's not like that. And you will find rest, fulfillment within me, within your soul. The Lord was given to set right rulership over our lives. This is what it's about. And then the last thing, the Son was given to open the way to eternal life. This is why the Son was given. Talking about a gift that keeps on giving. Talking about a gift that doesn't wear out. I've been serving the Lord 30 plus years, and I'm more fired up now than I've ever been. More fired up now, I have more passion and more hope and more determination for the future than I ever have. Because this gift doesn't, keep give, doesn't stop giving. I've had to change the way that I think, and as I've changed the way that I think, I've seen him in a new way. And I'm like, why haven't I seen you this way before? This whole dull, st stupid stuff. Most, most, truth be known, this is just a fact, most Christians fall away from church within five years. Five years. And usually within a decade, they're sitting home, which is just them, Jesus, and their Bible, and then they're really doing nothing. They're doing nothing. There's, there's, there's got to be, a, there's something we're not, there's something we're not, we're creating something different. We're creating something that's wrong. We're presenting an ideology. We're setting down a system of rules that people can't keep. We're holding people to a standard that's impossible for them. Because it is, without the Holy Spirit. Right? So we're neglecting something. There's a reason for it. I've experienced it myself. I've experienced, I got pictures. I can show you pictures of me. I've been, I've been on this journey a long time. <laughs> I grew my hair long, right? You actually had that long of hair, Kevin? I did. I have pictures. My mother would follow me around with a pair of scissors, and she'd be like, just stand still. I'm going to cut that hair. It was sort of a subconscious act of defilement or defiance because I was coming out of a group that was high and tight, stand up straight, you know, keep your hair cut. Don't touch the alcohol. Stay away from the alcohol. Everything was outward purity and everything like that, constraining. And I needed that, but I only needed that for a season. I was a very disorganized, dysfunctional person, and I needed somebody to smack me around and say, stand up straight. This is how it works, Kevin. Do it. And I needed that, but I couldn't wear that jacket for long. And so I was just like, you know, the outward judgments and the outward assessments of my life became too constraining for me. And so I grew my hair long, and I'm like, dare you. I dare you to say I'm not a believer. I dare you. I wouldn't even have a shotgun. I had an M60. I'd rack it. I'd fire scripture at you. You know? Hypocrite. I would like lay it out there, all these religious pretentious things, these pressures and these boxes that were placed over my life. I refused. I was confused at that time. 
but I refused to be bound by a religious system that could produce me no life. I refused. There were, it was their rules. It wasn't the Lord's rules. It was their ideas. It wasn't the Lord's ideas for me. And that took me a long time. People find safety and security in religion. They find safety and security in the rules, right? People that come here, they have a hard time because there's freedom. And what they mistake for disorganization, and every church is disorganized. I've been a part of a lot of them, and they all are. They just put on the happy face on the front end. What they confuse for disorganization is actually freedom. It's actually liberty. And they can't handle the liberty. They prefer the rules. They prefer the regulations. They prefer the religions. They prefer that because it gives them some sense of control in their own lives when the fact is they can't handle the freedom that Christ offers. That's the truth. That's the truth. That may be an inconvenient truth for you, but that is the truth. You like the rules and the structure because you don't understand what freedom actually is. Yeah. Freedom is grace. Freedom is free. Look how free Jesus was. Go no further. Did he dance to their tune? Did he stand in their religious constructs? Every religious construct they put on him, he went right into it. He flew right in their face. Oh, you guys say we shouldn't heal on the Sabbath? Is that your rules? Bring me that dude with a withered hand. Whack. Oh, you say we shouldn't heal on the Sabbath or we shouldn't heal during the festivals? Give me that guy. Whack. Oh, I'm supposed to wash my hands. Not because it's sanitary, but because you think it's acceptable to do it that way. Give me something to eat. Every time they sat down, but yet there's still something about us. We gravitate. We cannot understand freedom. We don't understand liberty. We don't understand it. We like the cage. It's like these animals that have been raised in captivity. They open the cage for the animal, and the animal won't leave the cage. You ever notice that? You ever seen that? It takes them months, if not years, to acclimate this animal to the wild because all that animal's ever known was bondage. All that animal, and there are Christians that all you've ever known is a rigid religious system, and you don't understand freedom. You don't. You don't. And you like it. You like it all rule keeper. You like it all high and tight. Internet's full of them. Heresy hunters. Doctrinally high seeking. Like who appointed you? They listen to pastor's sermons and they pick apart every piece of the sermon to try to find something in there that's heretical or something that doesn't fit their view. I love to fire, I fired off a few dissertations I've since backed off it. I don't have a problem. I'm like, who appointed you? Who appointed, you, who appointed you to speak against men of God who are standing in a platform ministry and serving Jesus in the best way that they can? Who are you? Pajama Hajid, you know? You're like the, you're like the, like the, you know, the jihad sitting in the pajamas waging war against the church and against its pastors? Who are you? But they sit back high and mighty because it doesn't fit their religious context. God doesn't heal today. Who told you that? And so they take it as their personal mission to go. I know pastors that have, have spirit-filled churches, and there are guys that drive around the property filming it all the time, praying against the church, and they're doing little camcorders in the car, talking about why this church is heretical. I'm like, dude, do you not have a life? Do you got a life? Is this, is this, do you feel this is the mandate of your life? Is to go, why don't you go produce something in the world? Why don't you go bring light? Why don't you let the, why don't you let the ministry that you think is right be your, be your protest? 
A lot of things I didn't agree with. And I had somebody tell me, Kevin, let the excellency of your ministry be your protest. You don't need to talk about that. You can disagree. We disagree, right? We disagree with perspectives. I'm not all, you know, you hear me, I'll talk about the cultural church and things like that because it's not, because it takes away from the glory of Jesus. But at the end of the day, it's about bringing God glory. It's not about religion. It's about what produces life in the, in the church. That's really it. And if what we're doing in the systems that we're creating are not producing that, we have to question that. We just do. Or, or not. <laughs> or stay as, stay as you are. All good. Jesus came to open the way for eternal life. The Bible says this, John 17. He has been given authority over all flesh. Fascinating. All judgment's been created to given to the Son. The Father's judging no one. Jesus is going to judge us all. He will judge the living and the dead. He will judge us as sons and daughters as we listened to him, as we obeyed him, as we related to him. Not unto condemnation. You will never be condemned. You are heirs of eternal life and you will live forever if you're in Christ. You will live forever. I was sitting with my family in the living room and I was just looking around. I'm like, we're immortals. This family's going to be together forever. My children know the Lord. My wife knows the Lord. Yeah? My son-in-law knows the Lord. My grandson knows the Lord. It's an eternal family. We're eternal. You're eternal. You're going to live forever. There's no condemnation there. Not now, not ever. But the Lord is expecting something from you. And if you're aware of that, he invested something in your life and he expects you to give him a return. Well, what does he want? I don't know. Why don't you ask him? What does he want? He wants basic things. And it's okay if you just do the basic things and you support the church and you support the work. That's, that's fine. Because that's the minimum standard to support the church. Let me just say that. The minimum standard is to support the church. That's what he told them. The parable of the steward. He said, you should have at least given to the stewards. Whether you did anything with your own life is irrelevant. But you buried it in the backyard and you couldn't even at least given it to the stewards. Who are the stewards? I'm a steward. This church is a steward. Well, who holds you accountable? You don't have to worry about that. Jesus says all should not seek to be teachers for such will face a stricter judgment. Yeah, while well, y'all getting a little talk to you from Jesus as he talks to you about your life and he's rewarding you, he's going to call me in for a second round. Yeah? Second round of reward and a second round of rebuke if I have not followed him correctly. Because as you're taught, so you produce. The responsibility of the church and what, it's, what she produces is on the pastor. And we become like the yokes that we follow under. Look around. Narcissistic teaching, narcissistic people. Worldly teaching, worldly people. Religious teaching, religious people. The yoke that we, are, we, we give ourselves to is what is produced in our lives. That's why it's important. God knows that. That the influence comes from here. And so that this is a very important thing, the way that it's done. He came to open the way to eternal life. All authority has been given to the Son. That he should give eternal life to as many who has been produced by him. The Son will judge the living and the dead. The idea is that Jesus says to them on that day, you know, I don't know you. I don't know you, but I know you. No, you don't know me either. You know of me, but you don't know me. I don't know who you are. I've wanted to know you, but I don't know you. See, again, everything comes back to this relationship. You can't escape it. <laughs> you cannot escape it. Anytime you see when Jesus is talking or even how the Bible is relating and the purposes that God wants, it always comes back to this relationship. And we talk about, well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you? What does that look like? 
Do you talk to him? Do you hear him? God's not speaking. Who told you that? Who told you that? Do you, do you really have a personal relationship with him? Do you have a relationship with him or do you have a personal relationship with him? Is he integrated into your life? I didn't say you didn't struggle. I didn't say you didn't fight your way forward. I didn't say any of that. All that's part of the process. I had a guy tell me, I just, I'm, not, I'm just not on fire, Pastor. I'm just not on feeling on fire every day. I'm like, you think I'm on fire every day? Like I, like I roll out of bed, my feet hit the floor, and I'm singing glory, hallelujah. You know? I'm not. I have to get myself there. I have to calibrate myself. It's all about that. Isaiah 59.1. This is for those of you that don't know Jesus. It says, Behold the Lord's hand. And this is what Christmas is all about. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save you. You are within the Lord's reach. He can save you. He can heal you. He can deliver you. He can restore you. You are not so far out of his reach. Oh, God, I'm so far from God. No, you're not. Who told you that? His ear is not heavy that he can't hear you. Oh, God's not listening to me. That's not true either. Your iniquities have separated you from God. The problem's not on his end. The problem's on your end. And your sins have hidden his face from you. That's the bad news. But the good news is Jesus is inviting you to come. This is the question. You have a choice. You have a choice. You can stay where you are or you can allow the Lord to reach you. He's reaching for you this morning. This is what this message is all about. When the gospel is preached, it's the Lord reaching for you. It's God reaching for you. You have a choice. You can stay as you are. You can choose life. Life is only in Jesus. It's nowhere else. Zechariah 1.3 says this. This is what the Lord says. Come back to me and I will return to you. Come to me and I will come to you. See, he's already come for you. Christ has died for you and he's made a way. The door's open. The door is wide open. But you got to walk through the door. And when you walk through the door, the Lord is already there waiting for you. But he's not doing anything more than holding the door open for you. He's not going to carry you across the threshold. you got to get your butt across that threshold. It is a conscious, willful act to give your life to this. And the opportunity is here this morning. The opportunity is here today. God's made a way. He's come to give peace to this relationship. He's come to be a problem solver to the crises in our life. He's come to position us under the govern of heaven, and he's called to give us a projection of our life into eternity. This is what the Lord has come to do. But the greatest gift of all is if you don't know Jesus. This is the gift that keeps on giving. This is a gift that transformed my life years ago. I went all in. I mean, I was an outsider who became an insider. I had a knowledge of the Lord. But somebody said, listen, if you follow this path, your life will change. And I said, I'm all in. I didn't go 50%. I didn't go 30%. I gave it all. I said, I don't care. I'll take a decade out of my life and I'll commit to this. And if, I, and if this isn't true, well, then at least I'll know. But I gave it all and I'm still giving it all. I'm still giving it all. And if I had more, I would give. But the problem is, is I can't outgive the Lord. I gave him my life and he has given me his life back multiple times. And he has renewed his life in me and he has renewed my life in him multiple times. Multiple times. And he'll do the same for you. If you don't know the Lord today, this is the first step. The Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you believe in your heart, you don't have to understand it. 
believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead. The Bible says, Satorian. He will seal you. He will declare over you that you belong to him. And he will offer to you sozo. He will offer you to you a benefit plan in the Satorian. Sounds cool, doesn't it? I don't even know. What, and you're like, wow, that sounds cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to pray here together at Elevate. And if you're at home, you're watching it, and you got your toasties on, just calm the kids down. Everybody, shh, we're going to pray. Everybody, shh, we're going to pray. We're going to pray together as a family, right? If Uncle Jim's there, doesn't matter. Let Uncle Jim pray with you. You say, we're all Christians. Well, maybe Uncle Jim's not. So why don't you pray and encourage Uncle Jim to pray with you? So do it as a family. I'm going to pray here together as a family. I'm going to pray with you. Let's just pray. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So this Christmas, Jesus, I receive the gift that is what you have come to give to me, which is eternal life. And I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. <laughs> all right. We love you. I'm going to bless you one more time. Elevate family. We got a prayer team available for you, and I want to bless everybody here one more time, and everybody have a Merry Christmas. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Best is yet to come. Prayer team over here. God loves you. We love you. Merry Christmas.